Welcome to The Essential Rhythm, science-based natural history and human ecology of the North Atlantic seashore. This is episode 59. Sand fleas are smarter than you think. I've been reading a new book, Life Between the Tides, by the prolific British writer Adam Nicholson. It's his story of watching a community establish and grow in three tide pools he constructed on the north coast of Scotland. It's such a fun and well-written book. We're taking a few weeks to share some of his insights from the organisms he's observed. And because he's only just across the pond from us here in the northeast region of North America, what he sees isn't all that different from what we see. First up are sand fleas, or beach hoppers. We talked last week about how their erratic leaping behavior is an effective anti-predator defense and used throughout the animal tree of life. But there's more to say about them, so we're going to keep talking about them. First, a quick review. These animals are the little crustaceans that live in the rack that washes up and accumulates at the high tide line. Scientists place them in a subgroup of crustaceans called amphipods, as they have legs that are oriented in different directions that help them hop and scurry away when disturbed. Like all of their crustacean cousins, they have an exoskeleton, a shell made of specialized carbohydrates not dissimilar to the cellulose of trees. The shell of a beach hopper isn't mineralized like a lobster or crab shell. There's no calcium carbonate in it to make it rigid. Its flexibility is key to the animal's predator avoidance tool. They can wedge themselves into crevices and other hiding places unavailable to an animal with a more fixed dimension. Besides the constant threat of being eaten, living high in the intertidal zone presents another existential risk, drying out. Like all organisms in the intertidal, they've evolved a strategy for desiccation avoidance. Their shells secrete a waxy cuticle that waterproofs them, preventing their bodily fluids from evaporating away in the heat of the day and the dry of the air. This cuticle, of course, has its limits. If it gets too warm, it will melt away. So these animals stay out of the direct sun as much as possible, buried in washed-up seaweed or in burrows in the damp beach sediment. These animals are fairly nonspecific detritivores, feeding primarily on washed-up seaweed and other organic matter. They're part of the critically important nutrient recycling system, a group of organisms largely overlooked in any ecosystem. Without them, nutrients would be locked up in dead organic matter. But by feeding on this material and breaking it down into smaller and smaller pieces, they are part of a biological system that deconstructs molecules, making their components available as nutrients for other organisms. To do this, they forge throughout the intertidal zone, some sticking close to the rack line, others traveling further afield, especially at night to avoid predators and the drying effects of the sun. For those that travel further afield in search of food, the question becomes, how do they know where to go and how to get back to their home burrows and daytime habitats? An animal whose primary means of locomotion is random and explosive leaping does not seem well suited for directed movement. But it turns out that they are able to navigate their world with a high degree of sophistication. Most of what we know about this comes from the work of an Italian zoologist who studied these animals in the 1950s and 60s. He and his team determined that beach hoppers will consistently orient to the water content of the sand. Too much, and they head away from it, up the beach. Too little, and they head towards it, down the beach. They can also use the sun and the moon to determine the direction to head to or from the water, calibrated to their own internal clock. Researchers also determined that animals that lived on a west-facing beach always oriented their movements as if the water was to the west. 
if taken away from this beach and allowed to breed, the offspring, who had never experienced living on a west-facing beach, would still follow that orientation in the lab, which suggests a genetic component to this navigational system. And if those same offspring were then transplanted to an east-facing beach, they could eventually adapt and learn to head east when they wanted to get to the water, which suggests a plasticity to this behavior. Nature versus nurture, even in beach hoppers. It's pretty amazing what you can learn from an organism if you just devote a lifetime studying it. I'll continue to share these insights from Life Between the Tides by Adam Nicholson over the coming weeks. As we move into summer and you start looking for a literal beach read, this would be a good one. This has been episode 59 of The Essential Rhythm, written and produced by me, Sarah O'Malley. The show is produced on Wabanaki land. The theme music is Lightstream by the artist Sid Hartha, used by permission through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and join us next week. <laughs>